Wonderful song. That's our goal, our desire for us and all the world that we would praise His name. As you're turning in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I want to mention one more thing that I forgot to mention a moment ago. Uh, this coming Wednesday evening, uh, we've got a, a personal privilege for me. I have some very good friends that are serving uh, as missionaries in Spain. They're coming in to visit for a few days, and I said, hey, you're coming to visit. Why don't you tell what's going on uh, in your work in Spain? And so they're going to be here Wednesday evening. I want to invite you to come. And I, I know, you know, when I was growing up and I heard missionaries were coming, I thought, oh, no, this is not going to be good. Uh, and, and that was bad for me because I wasn't, you know, I was being sinful and carnal there, not having a, a, a godly mind with that. Uh, but I, I want to I share with you in this because you want to come if for no other reason then he is Australian and she is British, and you get to hear the accents, okay? So, and God, the Lord's doing a great work through them in Spain. They are tremendous people. We fell in love with them from the first time that we met them, and uh, so they're just coming to share just, just because I asked them to, okay? It, it's not, we're not going to be asking for money and all of that stuff. Uh, if you want to give and, and be a personal contributor to them, that's fine, uh, but I just want you to hear what the Lord is doing through them and what He's doing in Spain uh, through Jason and Sarah Tierney and their family. So I want to invite you to come be a part of that this coming Wednesday evening. You will enjoy that, I know, and I'm looking forward to it as well. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, Paul is, is bringing this letter to a close. We, we began all the way, chapter 1, verse 1. We've made our way through. Paul is beginning to wrap things up. And as he does so, he presents the church at Corinth with some personal requests some imperatives, if you will, some, okay, finally, this is it, do this, don't do this, and some tremendous encouragement to the church that he provides here in the 16th chapter. And what he does in the verses that we look at this morning is he provides for us, I believe, a perspective on ministry, a perspective on service itself, and what that looks like to us, because... If we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we have been called into salvation, we have been called to be servants as well. In fact, I, I will maintain for you that the Christian life should be a life of, of most active service of anyone else around. Because we have for our model Jesus Christ who served us and we have within Him a display of what service looks like and then we have encouragement all throughout the New Testament especially that we are to serve one another. Remember in fact that Jesus in Matthew chapter 14 He calls His disciples and He comes along and He says to them, Follow me. Okay, this is like the call to salvation. Follow me. And what does he say? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, he says, I want you to experience salvation, but there's something that I want you to do as well. And what the great thing is within all of this is, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's going to do the work and he's going to empower you to do what he calls you to do, but you still need to be the one involved in the doing of it as he empowers you to do just that. It's not that some are called to serve and others are, are called to be served. That is contrary to scripture. That's contrary to anything that we find anywhere in the Bible. It is not that some are called to serve and some are called to be served. No, we are all called 
to service. And in fact, any distinction that we might have between those involved in full-time service and those who are, for lack of a better word, considered lay servants, it's a distinction of function and not a distinction of value at all. All of us equally are called to be in service. And, And just to get an idea of Scripture's perspective on service, just before we jump into 1 Corinthians 16 here uh, this morning, I want you to remember that service is not a pathway to greatness, but service itself is greatness. For instance, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but rather to serve. And how did He serve? By giving His life as a ransom for many. And what we find in Scripture is that our service is nothing more than the ministry of the risen Lord Jesus Christ among and through His people. Look with me at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and I'll explain to you what this means. In Galatians 2, we read, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Jesus gave His life for me that He in turn might take my life from me. I have been crucified with Christ. And so Jesus gave His life for me that He in turn might take my life from me. Why? So that He might live His life through me. This is the idea of service. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And so we look at this idea of service and when we discover service, what we discover is that the risen Jesus Christ empowers us and lives in us through His Spirit to use us in the service to which He calls us. You're not alone. When you serve the Lord, you've got Him with you to do the work He's called you to do. And I'm hoping that today will be an encouragement for you that you'll see your service as being important and that you'll see your service as being empowered by the Spirit of God. And my outline is really simple. Let me just tell you the the three points that I'm going to give to you this morning, okay? First of all, understand when it comes to service, it's the Lord's work. Okay? It's the Lord's work. Secondly, the Lord uses a variety of people to accomplish His work. And then thirdly, there is no ideal place in which to serve Him. And I'll explain what I mean on each of these. So let's begin. First of all, understand that the work is the Lord's work. Let's begin 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 5. Paul says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. For I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I'll stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. 
So here Paul introduces to us a lot of servants, a lot of service, but he reminds us in all of this that the service, the work, is the Lord's work. That's exactly what he says in verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. He's doing the work of the Lord just like I am. Literally, the Greek language, when you read this in the Greek, it means the works of the Lord he works. Timothy, you have Timothy coming along, and the works of the Lord, it's that that he works. And so there's an emphasis within all of this. Timothy is not establishing his name. Timothy is not building his ministry. It's not Timothy Ministries, Inc. Uh, He's not seeking to become notorious. He is working the work of the Lord. Now, that's interesting because Paul completed chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians with the very same reminder. He says there, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in what? In the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your neighbor, excuse me, your labor is not in vain. So we're encouraged to be involved in the work, and whose work is it? It's the Lord's work. It's not my work. It's not your work. It's the Lord's work. And this concept of work, we've got to understand, it's not just going to a job from 9 to 5, 8 to 5, or something like that. The concept of work that we're talking about here is anything in which we might engage ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ, both in working within the body of Christ, within the church, and seeking to minister to those who were outside of Christ as well well. And Paul says this is all the Lord's work and it has value and it has importance for us. In fact, remember what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. The work that we do is designed to be done for the Lord And although we do it on behalf of others, although we serve others, we are ultimately serving the Lord. We're serving them while doing that, and we're serving the Lord while doing that as well. We should be working in everything we do as if we were serving Jesus Christ. Every bit of it. Everything that we do should be done as though we are doing it for Jesus. Now let me ask you a question. Does that have an impact on your day-to-day life? I want you to think about that for a moment. Does that have an impact on your day-to-day life that if everything you do, you do it as though you're doing it for Jesus, would that make a difference? Do you think that perhaps we would complain a little bit less about what we do if we thought the Lord has me here doing this work for His purpose and I'm going to do it for Him? Would we maybe do it better than we're doing it now? Would we seek maybe to give it our all if we were doing it with that mindset in place to realize I'm doing this for the Lord? Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. Whatever, everything is service done for the Lord. And let me show you how Paul demonstrated this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, just earlier in this same book. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. See, it's the Lord's work. As the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. 
Well, that's a fresh perspective for us, isn't it? What are we? Nothing. We're not anything. But only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. There were so many problems in Corinth. We, we won't rehash all of them. But there was, there was just a strong territorialism that was taking place. Uh, some people said, well, I follow Paul. Some say, well, I follow uh, Cephas. Some say, well, I follow Apollos. And it wasn't that these men were trying to do this. It's that the people were doing this. They'd begun to gather themselves around individuals who were serving there. And so Paul comes along in verse 5 and he says, What then is Apollos? Did you notice that? Have you ever noticed that before? He doesn't say who. He says what. This should be a good perspective for us when it comes to us serving the Lord. It's not who, it's what. You see, the thing is, we're just instruments. We're just instruments to be used by the Lord. That's why Paul says, What's Apollos? What's Paul? We're just instruments used for the Lord. Just, just, just a what? My car doesn't glory when it brings me from my home to the office. It's just a what? It's just a tool. It just gets me where I need to be. Can you imagine uh, if it were a, a couple? There's a couple there at their home, and they're uh, observing some flowers in their yard. And the husband comes along, and he's all puffed up and all arrogant and proud, you know. And <laughs> I planted these. <laughs> And the wife comes along and says, yeah, but guess what? I'm the one out here watering them every day. And the husband says, yeah, but understand this. If I didn't plant them, you wouldn't have anything to water. And the wife says, yeah, but you need to understand, if I hadn't watered them, there'd be nothing to show for what you, that you had done anything at all. And hopefully somewhere in the midst of this asinine argument, they would both realize that if God didn't bring growth, they'd be standing there looking at a pile of dirt. See, that's what Paul's talking about. He says, why do we glory in what we do? I'm just an instrument used by God, and it's God that gives the growth. I read this quote, says, the key to youth usefulness in the kingdom of God begins with self-forgetfulness. Ooh, isn't that good? The key to usefulness in the kingdom of God begins with self-forgetfulness. In other words, forget yourself. Why don't you look at somebody sitting beside you and tell them that? Forget yourself. <laughs> Only do it now and don't do it anymore, okay? Sermon illustration, that's all this is. Stop it right there. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, you want to be effective in ministry? Okay, die to yourself. Die to yourself. It's the Lord's work. And this is impossible to do without the Spirit of God empowering you to do it. That's why we have to live daily in reliance on the Spirit of God to do His work in us and through us because you and I are not going to do it. Do you know how often I die to myself on my own? Big fat zero. Never. I'm not going to die to myself. Are you kidding me? There's too much in life I enjoy and I like for myself. I'm not going to die to myself unless the Spirit of God does His work in me and I live in reliance upon Him saying, Spirit, you've got to do this work in me. I just want to be a vessel. I just want to be an instrument used by you. And so what we discover here uh, in, in these verses is that God gave the ministry he assigned the task. He said, Paul, you're doing this. Uh, Apollos, you're doing this. And there's no, there's no 
point at all in walking around and boasting about the task? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I do? Yeah, I know you're nothing and you do nothing. That's what Scripture teaches. God is the one who does the work. So let's live our lives in a way that we bring honor and glory to Him. See, the only reason you and I are doing what we do is because God said we can do it, and up until this point, He lets us keep on doing it. That's it. It's total reliance on Him. And then we discover that God gives the growth. Here back in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, God is the one who gives the growth. God's the one who does the work. I don't care how hard you try, you can plant anything that you want to, but you're not going to make it grow. You're not. Only God is going to be able to do that. And then in verse 8, I, I, I love this in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 8, look at it again. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his success. Is that what your Bible says? Labor. You will receive your wages according to your labor. In other words, God is the one who gives the ministry. He's the one who gives the growth. And yet He's the one who gives the rewards for us in serving Him in that. The man who plants, the woman who waters, they both have one purpose. And that purpose is to bring glory to God. And success is determined by faithfulness to God and what He's called us and tasked us to do. Faithfulness is a success is not determined the way we oftentimes determine success. Success is determined by faithfulness to God and His Word. And we do that. We know what success is. He gives the task. He makes it grow. He gives the rewards. Why? Because the work is the Lord's work. Secondly, Second point, Jesus uses a variety of people to accomplish His work. Paul, Paul understood this. Look at the names that we have listed in this passage and, and even a few verses below. In verse 10, we, we read about Timothy. In verse 12, we read about Apollos. Coming on down, verse 15, we read about the household of Stephanus. We read about Fortunatus, Achaicus, Aquila, Priscilla. All of these people that are involved in the work that is whose work? The Lord's work. It's not Paul's work. I understand that. It's not Paul's work. But these are people that the Lord has used in ministry and service to the Corinthians and to Paul. All, all these names, all these people, they don't look alike. They don't act alike. They weren't all gifted the same. But they were vital in the work of ministry. They were used by the Lord in His work. There used to be an old hymn that, that I remember singing when I was growing up. I don't re remember really all the words to it, but I remember the phrase at the end of, of each chorus. There's a work for Jesus None but you can do. See, God's got to work for you. He's put you where you are to accomplish the work that He wants done. Do you believe that? I mean, really, do you, don't, don't give the Sunday school answer. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God has you where you are because there is a work that He wants to do through you? Do you know what that work is? Are you doing it? See, here's what has to happen within the church setting. 
Let's bring it within the walls of the building here. At some point, we have to get past the mentality that when there is a need, when there is ministry to be done, uh, we'll just hire another pastor to do it. See, that's the flip-flop of the way Scripture defines ministry and what ministry is all about. We're all called to be involved in this ministry together. Now, having said that, let me just say, just, just as a total aside here, I want to say thank you to those of you who have stepped up and really stepped into ministry uh, in the absence of our children's pastor. Boy, y'all, y'all have taken off. You know, the biggest problem that I'm finding right now is not saying, we need help, we need workers. It's saying, whoa, we got a lot. Let's see if we can group us together somehow. Because we got a lot of people doing a lot of work. Thank you. It's the work of the Lord. It's the work that needs to be done. And He's sent you to, you to do it. Paul understood that Christianity is not a one-man show. Paul understood that it's not a, a lone ranger mentality. And look at the people that he mentions. In verse 12, he talks about Apollos. Now, if you remember the beginnings when we were going through what's going on in Corinth, remember they had all of these factions within the church, and I mentioned it a moment ago. Do you remember who one of the persons, one of the people was that people were attaching themselves to? Apollos. <laughs> I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, and yet here, look at this in verse 12. Paul says, now concerning our brother Apollos. Paul knew the territorialism that had been going on in the church. He sought to correct it. He said, there's no, there's no place for this. Do you not think that if Paul was looking out for his own interests, he would have done everything to ensure that Apollos didn't come back to Corinth? That's not what he did. See, Paul was only concerned that the plants grew. That was his concern. I want the plants to grow. It doesn't matter who does it. I want the plants to go. If Paul had been so petty as to be concerned that they might like Apollos' watering more than they liked his planting, well, Paul would not have been encouraging Paul, Apollos to come back and do more watering. Another one that he mentions in verse 10 is Timothy. Look, look at this. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Here you have Timothy, this, this, this young rising lieutenant in Paul's army, a son in the faith to Paul. Paul says, I cannot wait for Timothy to get to you, and here's how I want you to treat him. Now, I'll just be honest with you. For us, Timothy probably would have been immediately disqualified from ministry and service. He really would have. We probably would have said, mm, not that guy. There ain't no way. Because just think about Timothy. He is a person who is naturally timid. We, we, we gather this from Paul's writings to him. Uh, that's, that's why Paul even here says, I want you to put him at ease. Timothy was naturally timid. Uh, Timothy was, was physically frail. That's why when Paul writes to him, he says, hey, Timothy, I know your stomach is in knots. I know you've got all sorts of medical problems here. Uh, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. He was physically frail. He was chronologically disadvantaged. He was young. He says here, uh, to, to, to put him at ease, doing the work of the Lord, so let no one despise him. It's the very same phrase that Paul uses when he talks to Timothy, writing to Timothy, and he says, let no one despise you for your youth, because you are young. 
So the Corinthians are very prone to look at this and think, why would this boy to do a man's work be here with us? Why? Because God assigns the task, that's why. Because it's the Lord's work. Quite honestly, it was probably a pretty daunting prospect for Timothy to go to Corinth as well. After all, they had pulverized his mentor, Paul. Boy, they had just run him through it. And if they gave Paul such a hard time, what do you think they might do with Timothy? Maybe Timothy thought, you know what, I might be rejected. I might not be as successful as I should be. No, if God assigns you to the task, do the job. If God assigns you to the task, do the task. Accept your limitations. You cannot do everything, but assume your responsibilities because you can do something. Do the task that God has given you to do. We see all throughout this, in fact, if you come to Romans chapter 16, Paul does this at the end of Romans as well. He has a whole long list of people that he mentions by name. I'm not going to read them to you, uh, but I counted 31 names in this one chapter. Now, don't start looking to count them until we finish and you get home. Wait, wait until that. And the reason I point that is because that's something that I would do. And I was, you know, well, I'm just going to count and see if he's right. Um, and I got 30. Let me do it again. And then so just wait till you get home and, and, and look it up. 31 names, two complete families. Why? Because God uses a variety of people to do the work. That's why we need each other. That's why you're here. That's why God's put you here. There's a work for you to do. That's why God's put all of us here. And then finally, very quickly, understand there is no ideal place in which to serve the Lord. Has there ever been a time maybe that you really felt like the Lord wanting you to do something and you step out to do it and then it just, everything just breaks apart? You think, oh man, I messed that up. I shouldn't have done that. I, I should go back here where I was before. You ever felt that way? Ever thought that? Yeah, we all have, haven't we? We've been there. Look at the names that Paul mentions. He talks about in verse 8, uh, being in Ephesus, in verse 5, Macedonia. He's speaking to the Corinthians, saying, I, 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 I'm, I'm staying where I am, but I'm, I'm going to be here, and I want to come not for just a little while, I want to spend some time with you. But Paul realized that regardless of geography, he's got a job to do. He's got a task to do. And he's going to be about the business of doing it. One of the things that I love about Paul is, Paul is always thinking about where he can go next. Great missionary mind. Where can I go next? Why? Why was Paul thinking like that? Because there were people that needed to hear the gospel. Where can I go that people will hear the gospel? And Paul was very strategic in the places that he went. He went to the cities, most of them very cultural, very, uh, very big metropolis area, crossroads of culture and community and all of this, so the gospel would be spread out everywhere. And Paul was very strategic when he went. And you know what's sad to me is that for most of us, we can't see past our own nose. We can't see the need that's all around us because our vision stops right here. We, we fall prey to this mentality, what do I get out of it, what's in it for me, rather than where is the need and can I meet that need? 
Because see, this world around us wonders, who is this Jesus guy you're talking about? It's why we're connected with a church in Denver where 97% of the population is unchurched. Most of them never having heard the gospel. We're partnering to bring the gospel there. It's why we're working with the church in Donna, Texas to reach people with the message of the gospel. It's why we've been involved in places like Nicaragua and Guatemala. It's why I'm so thankful to have friends that are serving in Cambodia and Spain because there they're, they're powerfully presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm so thankful that we as a church, that we as a convention have the International Mission Board that sends thousands upon thousands of missionaries around the world to share the gospel. We encourage you to do something when you get home this afternoon. Go to the website of the International Mission Board, imb.org, and find out how you can be praying for missionaries. Find out what you can do to go. Be involved in trips that we have here, in going. You notice Paul didn't choose places for ministry that would suit his pleasure or his convenience like we do. Michigan? I want to serve in Michigan. It's too cold up there in the winter. I'm going to go to Florida? No, I'm not going to go to Florida. It's too hot down there. Uh, how, about, how about we go to Montana? Or why? No, it's too isolated. Not enough people. Want to go up to New England then? No, there's too many pagans up there. I don't want to be involved in that. Where am I going to be the most comfortable? Have you ever noticed how interesting it is how we tell the Lord what we will and won't do? Let me give you a contradiction here. You can't call Him Lord and then put a but in the statement. Yes, Lord, but, uh uh-uh, no. One of those has got to go. (laughs) If you're going to tell him but, he's not Lord. If you're going to call him Lord, then you can't say but. Would you be willing to go to the epicenter of the battle just for the sheer privilege of doing the work of the Lord. See, look at this in verse 8 and 9. And I've got to hurry. Verse 8 and 9. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Now get what he says. This is why he's going to stay in uh, in Ephesus. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me. Man, doesn't that sound encouraging? (laughs) I'm staying in Ephesus. I'm going to be here until Pentecost. But there's, because there's a wide, door that's been opened for me and I want to take advantage of it but don't finish don't forget the last part of that wide door for effective work is open to me and there are many adversaries did you get that see get this crazy notion out of your mind that if you are where God wants you to be and you are really in touch with him that it all goes smoothly I know that's a prevalent thought, but it's not a biblical thought. It's not. Paul says there's a great opportunity, but there's great opposition. Why is that? Well, do do you think that you can kick at the devil's posterior and he's not going to throw some fiery darts at you? Do you really think he's going to put up with that? 
You can read in Acts chapter 19, I, I won't go through all of it, you can read in Acts chapter 19 what happened to Paul while he was in Ephesus. It was rough. But Paul says there's a wide door for effective work. It was a city full of paganism. It was a city full of idolatry. It was a city full of demonism. It was a city full of racism. It was a city full of prostitution. And Paul says, I'm staying right here because this is where they need the gospel. This is where we need to be. I wonder, would we be willing to go into that city with our families and seek to share the gospel with those people. Now, I, I don't mean just go in and then quickly get out before the sun goes down. I'm talking about planning our lives there. I'm talking about living there. I'm talking about shopping there. I'm talking about having a presence there. Would we be willing to do that? I'll just answer for me. I don't know. But I can tell you this much, I haven't yet. Is that not convicting? That's convicting to me at times. God, I want the opportunity, but don't give the opposition. Hmm. So here we see the work to which we're called is the Lord's work. It's the Lord's work. It all belongs to Him. The Lord uses a variety of people to do His work. He can use you. Plans to use you, wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever I should say you are. Plans to use you. And there's no ideal place in which to do the work of the Lord other than the place in which He puts you, and there you're going to be opposed. If you're doing the Lord's work, if you're swimming upstream while everybody else is swimming downstream, it's going to be difficult. So what do we do with this? I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. Would you pray that out of our midst, God will call people to go? That from us as a church, God will call people who are willing to say, I'll leave it all and go wherever the Lord sends me. Will you pray that God will raise up missionaries out of our midst who will say it is worth it for the glory of God to do His work? Will you pray that people will raise up in this place, people to serve as pastors? Will you pray for all of us to go and do the Lord's work, whatever we are and wherever He's put us? For His glory. Some of you need to pray that realizing that you are the answer to that prayer. Some of you very possibly, maybe some of our young people here, high school students, middle school, maybe college students, maybe you've just sensed the Lord tugging at you saying, this is what I want to do. I want you to give your life in this service. And I'm going to tell you, you're not going to do it without the Lord's help, obviously. But He's called us as your church to help you in that as well. 
So we want to support you. We want to help you. We want to be with you every step of the way. You just need to let us know so that we can help prepare you for the work of the Lord. Maybe the Lord's been dealing with your heart about pastoral ministry. Pray that God would raise, raise that up within us. But some of you today, you cannot answer the call to service because you've never answered the call to salvation. Never. You can't give what you've not received. And so today, I want to issue the call to you as well to trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. The one who died in your place, the one who rose back from the dead, the one who lives this very moment, can bring forgiveness, grace, and redemption to you if you'll trust Him. Would you pray with me this morning, please? Father, we, we have this moment that we call a, a time for response. Invitation, we might call it. But Father, we realize that we can't issue anything that You have not issued. And so I pray, Father, please would you, through the work of your Spirit, speak to hearts today. Those who have never experienced salvation, would you touch them now and bring conviction to them of their own sinfulness, but of the power of the Spirit of God to transform them through the work of Jesus into your children. Father, would you call people into your service and into your work? And as a church, would you call us to go and to do however you lead? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand this morning as we stand, we sing. If there's a response that you feel led to make, we invite you to come. You come this morning. Let's sing this chorus together. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Sing that again. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ, hallelujah, Jesus is my life, and now Lord I would be yours alone. And live so all might see the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose. And let my song forever be my only boast is you. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. 
Jesus is my life. Hallelujah. All I Jesus is